Chapter Twenty Four of the Sign of Silence by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty Four, Official Secrecy. The following evening was damp, gray, and dull as I stood shivering at the corner of the narrow Rue de Lif and the broad Place de la Monnaie in Brussels. The lamps were lit, and around me everywhere was the bustle of business. I had crossed by the morning service by way of Ostend, and had arrived again at the Grand only half an hour before. The woman Petrie had sent a letter to Digby Kemsley to the Poste de Rosante in Brussels under the name of Bryant. If this were so, the fugitive must be in the habit of calling for his letters, and it was the great black façade of the chief post office in Brussels that I was watching. The business day was just drawing to a close, the streets were thronged, the traffic rattled noisily over the uneven granite paving of the big square. Opposite the post office the arc lamps were shedding a bright light outside the theatre, while all the shops around were a blaze of light, while on every side the streets were agog with light. Up and down the broad flight of steps which led to the entrance of the post office hundreds of people ascended and descended passing and repassing the four swing doors which gave entrance to the huge hall with its dozens of departments ranged around and its partitioned desks for writing the mails from france and england were just in and dozens of men came with their keys to obtain their correspondence from the range of private boxes and as i watched the whole bustle of business life passed before me i was keeping a sharp eye upon all who passed up and down that long flight of granite steps but at that hour of the evening and in that crowd it was no easy matter would i be successful that was the one thought which filled my mind as i stood there my eager gaze upon that endless stream of people i felt wearied and fagged the channel crossing had been a bad one as it so often is in january and i had not yet recovered from my weird experience at colchester the heavy overcoat I wore was, I found, not proof against the cutting east wind which swept around the corner from the boulevard Ospot. Hence I was compelled to change my position and seek shelter in a doorway opposite the point where I expected the man I sought would enter. I had already surveyed the interior and presented the card of a friend to an official at the Poste Rosante, though I knew there was no letter for him. I uttered some words of politeness to the man in order to make his acquaintance as he might perhaps be of use to me ere my quest was at an end. At the Poste Rizante were two windows, one distributing correspondence for peoples whose surname began with the letters A to L, and the other from M to Z. It was at the first window I inquired, the clerk there being a pleasant fair-haired middle-aged man, in a holland coat as worn by postal employees. I longed to ask him if he had any letters for the name of Bryant or if any Englishman of that name had called, but I dared not do so. He would no doubt snub me and tell me to mind my own business. So instead I was extremely polite, regretted to have troubled him, and, raising my hat, withdrew. I saw that to remain within the big post office for ours was impossible. The uniformed doorkeeper who sat upon a high desk overlooking everything would quickly demand my business and expel me no my only place was out in the open street not a pleasant prospect in winter and for how many days i could not tell for aught i knew the fugitive had called for the woman's letter and left the capital 
but he being aware that the police were in search of him would i thought if he called at the post-office at all for letters come there after dark hence i lost no time in mounting guard my thoughts as i stood there were indeed bitter and confused the woman petri had not as far as i could make out made any incriminating statement to the police yet she undoubtedly believed me to be dead and i reflected in triumph upon the unpleasant surprise in store for her when we met as meet we undoubtedly would the amazing problem viewed briefly stood thus the girl marie brock had been killed by a knife with a three-cornered blade such knife having been and being still in the possession of frida my well-beloved whose fingerprints were found in the room near the body of the poor girl the grave and terrible suspicion resting upon frida was increased and even corroborated by her firm resolve to preserve secrecy her admissions and her avowed determination to take her own life rather than face accusation on the other hand there was the mystery of the identity of maria brock the mystery of the identity of the man who had passed as sir digby kemsley the reason of his flight if frida were guilty and the mystery of the woman petrie and her accomplices yes this whole affair was one great and complete problem the extent of which even edwards expert as he was had as yet failed to discover the more i tried to solve it the more hopelessly complicated did it become i could see no light through the veil of mystery and suspicion in which my well-beloved had become enveloped why had that man the man i now hated with so fierce an hatred held her in the hollow of his unscrupulous hands she had admitted that whenever he ordered her to do any action she was bound to obey yes my love was that man's slave i ground my teeth when the bitter thought flashed across my perturbed mind ah what a poor ignorant fool i had been and how that scoundrel must have laughed at me i was anxious to meet him face to face to force from his lips the truth to compel him to answer to me and with that object i waited waited in the cold and rain for three long hours until at last the great doors were closed and locked for the night and people ascended those steps no longer then i turned away faint and disheartened chilled to the bone and wearied out a few steps along the boulevard brought me to the hotel where i ate some dinner and retired to my room to fling myself upon the couch and think why was frida in such fear lest i should meet the man who held her so mysteriously and completely in his power what could she fear from our meeting if she were as i still tried to believe innocent again was it impossible that after their dastardly attempt upon my life mrs petrie and her accomplices had fled to join the fugitive were they with him perhaps so perhaps they were in brussels the unfortunate victim marie brock had probably been a belgian brock was certainly a belgian name the idea crossed my mind to go on the following day to the central police bureau i had noticed in the rue de la regence and make inquiry whether they knew of any person of that name to be missing it was not a bad suggestion i reflected and i felt greatly inclined to carry it out next day i was up early but recognized the futility of watching at the poste rasante until the daylight faded on the other hand if mrs petrie was actually in that city she would have no fear to go about openly 
yet after due consideration I decided not to go to the post office till twilight set in. The morning I spent idling on the boulevards and in the cafés, but I became sick of such inactivity, for I was frantically eager and anxious to learn the truth. At noon I made up my mind, and taking a taxi, alighted at the prefecture of police, where, after some time, I was seen by the chief de Certe, a grey-haired, dry-as-dust-looking official, a narrow-eyed little man in black whose name was Monsieur von Hoffel, and who sat at a writing-table in a rather bare room, the walls of which were painted dark green. He eyed me with some curiosity as I entered and bowed. "'Be seated, I pray, monsieur,' he said in French, indicating a chair on the opposite side of the table, and, leaning back, placed his fingers together in a judicial attitude. The police functionary on the continent is possessed of an ultra-grave demeanour and is always of a funereal type. "'Monsieur wishes to make an inquiry, I hear,' he began. "'Yes,' I said. "'I am very anxious to know whether you have heard any report of a young person named Marie Brock being missing.' "'Marie Brock?' he echoed in surprise, leaning forward towards me. "'And what do you know, monsieur, regarding Marie Brock?' "'I merely called to ascertain if any person of that name is reported to you as missing,' I said much surprised at the effect which mention of the victim had produced upon him. "'You are English, of course?' he asked. "'Yes, monsieur.' "'Well, curiously enough, only this morning I have had a similar inquiry from your Scotland Yard. They are asking if we are acquainted with any person named Marie Brock.' "'And we are, monsieur,' said Monsieur von Hoffel. "'But first please explain what you know of her.' I have no personal acquaintance with her, was my reply. I know of her, that is all. But it may not be the same person. He opened a drawer, turned over a quantity of papers, and a few seconds later produced a photograph which he passed across to me. It was a half-length cabinet portrait of a girl in a fur coat and hat. But no second glance was needed to tell me that it was actually the picture of the girl found murdered in London. "'I see you recognize her, monsieur,' remarked the police official in a cold, matter-of-fact tone. "'Please tell me all you know.' I paused for a few seconds with the portrait in my hand. My object was to get all the facts I could from the functionary before me and give him the least information possible. "'Unfortunately I know but very little,' was my rather lame reply. "'This lady was a friend of a lady friend of mine.' "'An English lady was your friend, eh?' "'Yes.' "'In London?' I nodded in the affirmative while the shrewd little man who was questioning me sat twiddling a pen with his thin fingers. "'And she told you of Marie Brock? In what circumstances?' "'Well,' I said, "'it is a long story. Before I tell you I would like to ask you one question, monsieur. Have you received from Scotland Yard the description of a man named Digby Kemsley?' Sir Digby Kemsley, who is wanted for murder? The dry little official with the parchment face repeated the name, then consulting a book at his elbow, replied, Yes, we have circulated the description and photographs. It is believed by your police that his real name is Kane. He has been in Brussels during the past few days, to my own certain knowledge, I said. In Brussels? echoed the man seated in the writing chair. Where? Here in your city and I expect he is here now.' "'And you know him?' asked the chief de Sauté, his eyes betraying slight excitement. 
quite well. He was my friend. I see he is accused of murdering a woman name unknown in his apartment, remarked the official. The name is now known. It has been discovered by me, monsieur. The name of the dead girl is Marie Brock. The little man half rose from his chair and stared at me. Is this the truth, monsieur? he cried. Is this man named Kemsley or Kane accused of the assassination of Marie Brock? Yes, I replied. But this is most astounding, the Belgian functionary declared excitedly. Marie Brock dead. Ah, it cannot be possible, monsieur. You do not know what this information means to us. What an enormous sensation it will cause if the press sense the truth. Tell me quickly, tell me all you know, he urged at the same time taking up the telephone receiver from his table and then listening for a second said in a quick impetuous voice, I want Inspector Fremy at once. End of chapter 24 Recording by Tom Weiss TomsAudiobooks.com